Welcome. This is Michael Volkoff, and this is episode 110 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Our episode today is a review of three FCPA cases settled by the SEC on one day. Call it the FCPA Arama. Three cases were Barclays, Quad Graphics, and Westport uh, Energy. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me today on Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Before we get started, two points. First, please subscribe to our podcast and give the podcast a five-star rating. Second, the Volkoff Law Group offers anti-corruption legal and compliance services. We have extensive experience in the design and implementation of anti-corruption compliance programs, risk and compliance program assessments, and third-party and post-acquisition audits. Well, what a day. Uh, This past Friday, the uh, 27th, three cases were settled and announced by the SEC, uh, with regard to FCPA cases, and they are very. Uh, each of them is interesting uh, in their own right. Let's start first with the Westport case. It's a Canadian fuel technology company, uh, which settled a case with the FC with the SEC as well as their former CEO Nancy Gougherty. So Westport. Westport Fuel Systems is a Canadian clean fuel technology company, and its former CEO, Nancy Gougherty, uh, they agreed to settle FCPA charges with the SEC for $4.1 million and $120,000, respectively. Starting in 2016, Westport threw uh, Gougherty, and it's amazing because the CEO or former CEO really orchestrated this with this, the assistance of one other person. Uh, But she engaged in a scheme to bribe a Chinese foreign government official to obtain business and to earn a cash dividend from Westport's uh, joint venture in China. Westport's uh, uh, largest joint venture partner was a state-owned enterprise. Uh, The foreign official held a senior position at the state-owned enterprise. At the request of the state-owned enterprise, Westport transferred at a low price a portion of Westport's shares in the joint venture to a Chinese private equity fund in which the foreign official held a financial interest. So in exchange for this low-priced sale of equity from the joint venture, the foreign official used his influence to cause the joint venture to authorize an increased dividend payment of $3.5 million to Westport and to execute a framework supply agreement uh, between the joint venture and Westport. So the facts around this violation are somewhat complex, but uh, it boils down to an equity payment uh, that uh, through a low-price value stock transfer uh, in exchange for a supply contract and a $3.5 million uh, dividend. But let's go back and go through the facts a little bit. Uh, In March of 2013, the state-owned enterprise proposed taking the joint venture public through an IPO. The joint venture manager falsely told Westport that Chinese law required the S, the state-owned enterprise, to have a majority interest in the joint venture to qualify for the IPO. That turned out to be false. 
um, as a preliminary step to the IPO, they had to restructure the joint venture so that a portion of the shares held by Westport and a privately held conglomerate would have to be transferred to the state-owned enterprise and a Chinese private equity fund in which the foreign official held a financial interest. Although the shares were transferred at a low price, the IPO never took place. Eventually, Westport and Gogarty learned that the transfer uh, to private equity interest to the private equity interest fund was intended to personally benefit the foreign official, and that Chinese law did not require such a tra- transfer for an IPO. Uh, in fact, the IPO never occurred. It may have been that that was uh, just a subterfuge. The foreign official's uh, personal interest was a central focus of Westport's negotiation stra- strategy. Gogarty recommended alternatives to an IPO that included uh, seeking a supply agreement in exchange for the low-priced shares. The negotiations progressed slowly over the share transfer price. Eventually, the sale of Westport's low-priced stock was reached in exchange for the supply agreement and the payment of the dividend uh, to all shareholders, including Westport. In June 2015, Westport's board authorized the closing of the transaction. Gogarty did not disclose to the board any of the issues related to the payment of the low-value shares to benefit a foreign official. In fact, she specifically deleted a sentence from a letter to the board that described the payment to the foreign official. Westport also falsely reported to the SEC the identities of the parties to the transaction and omitted any reference to the Chinese private equity fund. Gogarty again circumvented Westport's internal accounting controls and signed a false certification concerning the sufficiency of those controls. The SEC cited the fact that Westport's code of conduct omitted any reference to due diligence for when engaging in a transaction with a third party in which a government official may have a financial interest. During the investigation, Westport enhanced its anti-corruption and compliance policies and training programs and its disclosure policies and controls. Westport enhanced its anti-bribery and anti-corruption controls by adopting revised policies that created specific controls for transactions involving foreign government officials and entities, mandating due diligence for such transactions, and requiring Westport's business partner partner to agree to abide by anti-corruption laws. So that's the Westport uh, case, an interesting case, again, uh, with the CEO's involvement uh, in showing you how uh, how a CEO can circumvent and override various internal controls. On the other hand, Westport had immature or almost non-existent controls, but nonetheless, she was able to um, circumvent controls, carry out the bribery scheme, and ultimately had to pay a penalty of $120,000. Second case, Barclays agreed to pay the SEC $6.3 million to settle FCPA offenses for hiring of relatives of foreign officials in Asia. Barclays joined the club of global financial institutions settling FCPA violations for hiring of relatives of foreign officials in Asia. Barclays agreed to disgorge $3.8 million and paid prejudgment interest of nearly $1 million and a $1.5 million civil penalty. As outlined in the SEC settlement order, and it's, uh, there's a lot of detail in terms of the schemes here and the situations, 
Barclays uh, Asia Pacific region, APEC region, hired 117 job candidates referred by or connected to foreign government officials or non-government clients. So these were cited as well uh, for commercial clients. Some of the individuals hired individ- some of the individuals hired uh, were relatives and friends of government officials and executives of Barclays non-government clients. Uh, with the expectation that the bank would gain investment banking business. APAC employees created false records to conceal the true identity of the person or the entity requesting that a candidate be hired and the reasons for the hire. In April 2009, a senior APAC executive approved an unofficial intern program for Barclays in South Korea that was operated separately from Barclays' formal internship program. Approximately half of the candidates in the unofficial program for Barclays South Korea were connected to Barclays clients. According to a senior banker responsible for the program, quote, the key factor behind relationship hiring decisions was what business the client could deliver to the bank, close quote. The senior banker explained that the relationship hiring decisions were made based on whether the client was important, whether the in hiring would enhance the business relationship, and whether hiring the candidate would result in new business. The improper hiring practices began in South Korea and then stretched into other Asian countries. Surprisingly, uh, Barclays compliance officers were aware of the hiring practices by June 2009, but claimed that they were not aware that its anti-corruption policy prohibited such hiring uh, in, in such a hiring program. Indeed, in an astounding claim, a senior APAC compliance executive claimed that he had never read Barclays' 2009 anti-bribery and corruption policy and that he himself did not understand that compliance was required to review and approve internships or other hiring decisions involving relatives of foreign officials. A Barclays senior executive claimed that he never knew that offers of employment were items of value under anti-corruption laws. This same lack of knowledge was echoed by several other Barclays bankers. In September 2010, APEC bankers requested approval to hire the daughter of a foreign official who was the senior executive of a Chinese state-owned enterprise. The daughter performed poorly during the interview process and received a do-not-hire recommendation. Nonetheless, the relationship banker pushed to hire her anyway. When a senior compliance officer was asked to review the hiring, he candidly stated that such a questionable hiring would not be the first time of such an improper type of hire. The compliance officer eventually approved the hiring with the assurances that she uh, had to have adequate qualifications to be hired, and no assurances were ever provided to meet that requirement. Barclays conducted compliance reviews in APEC during 2011 and 2012, but just continued to hire candidates connected to officials at state-owned entities or executives of private clients with whom business was either ongoing or being sought. A Barclays banker who worked in both South Korea and Hong Kong from June 2005 to March 2017 admitted that he was not even aware of the FCPA until 2013. During 2011 to 2013, Barclays APEC continued to hire based on relationships with foreign officials and non-governmental clients. In May 2011, APEC adopted a new program called the Work Experience Program, 
which set forth procedures governing relationship hires and adopted specific controls to identify candidates that were referred for hiring by a client and to explain the rationale for uh, hiring the candidate. Unfortunately, the program requirements were circumvented or ignored in a number of candidate hires. In one instance, a senior banker in Korea falsified a candidate's connection to a senior executive from a client and a specific contract for issuance of private uh, bonds for a private Korean bank. In March 2012, Barclays revised its internal policies regarding referral hires to require an attestation that the hire was not being made for the purpose of obtaining or retaining business. The new requirement had little to no impact on the approval of relationship hires in APAC. Bankers sometimes provided inaccurate attestations, and even when the disclosure was accurate, compliance approved the hires despite pending or potential business. In June 2012, a business presentation identified strategic hire hiring as one component of an action plan to satisfy clients. Even though the presentation was distributed among high-level executives, no one objected to the presentation or raised the anti-corruption issue. Even with a compliance approval requirement, Barclays bankers in APEC continue to make hires with the intent to advance specific business relationships. In June 2013, Barclays Global Compliance increased its scrutiny of relationship hiring. Compliance issued a global alert reminding all employees of the prohibitions and review requirements for employee referral hiring. Consistent with the existing policy, the guidance reaffirmed that employees were prohibited from hiring client relationship candidates in connection with obtaining or retaining business from anyone, whether the client was a private client or government entity. The policy also emphasized that all candidates must follow the standard and independent merit-based recruitment process. In February of 2013, APEC bankers sought to hire the nephew of a CEO of a key private client. An APEC compliance officer consulted with Barclays Global Compliance about the request from the key private client, which led to a review of the work experience program. Barclays Global Compliance agreed that the hiring recommendation had been preordained. It appears, quote, this is the quote from the Global Compliance, quote, it appears the business contacts made a hiring determination and then sent the candidate to HR for processing, close quote. Despite this, the candidate who had previously been rejected in late 2012 during the merit-based competition for the formal summer, summer intern program, was nevertheless offered a position in March 2013 as part of the formal summer, summer intern program in APAC. Barclay's records related to the hire contain no indication that the compliance department was consulted or even made aware of the two, March 2013 offer, despite the explicit requirement in the January 2013 guidance. In May 2013, Barclays earned over $2.6 million in revenue from the CEO's business. On September 30, 2013, in response to news reports of investigations into relationship hiring practices at other financial institutions, Barclays further tightened its hiring policy and implemented enhanced controls aimed toward ensuring future hires would be made in compliance with its anti-corruption and uh, anti-bribery policies and applicable law. 
The SEC cited the fact that Barclays voluntarily disclosed the conduct, undertook remedial measures by terminating senior executives and other employees involved in the misconduct, revised its hiring policies and procedures, and enhanced its compliance programs. Barclays' cooperation included providing facts developed during the course of its own internal investigation, providing focused presentations regarding its hiring practices, and voluntarily producing voluminous records including detailed spreadsheets related to specific hires and key document binders. Barclays also made its employees available for interviews upon request and facilitated the interviews of former employees by the SEC staff, including interviews of certain witnesses who traveled internationally. So that's the Barclays case, second of three cases uh, settled on one day, uh, Friday the 27th of September 2019. The last case is... uh, Quad Graphics settled uh, an SEC FCPA case for nearly $10 million. Quad Graphics is a Washington, uh, I'm sorry, Wisconsin print and digital marketing company uh, which paid $10 million to settle FCPA charges for violations in Peru and China. Quad Graphics also violated the OFAC sanctions violations for transactions involving a Cuban telecommunications company. The Justice Department, interestingly, declined to prosecute Quad Graphics under its FCPA corporate enforcement policy. During the period of 2011 to 2016, Quad Graphics failed to implement a robust compliance program and maintain appropriate accounting controls. In fact, the SEC commented that in 2010, Quad Graphics' compliance program was virtually non-existent. Quad Graphics also failed to conduct any employee compliance training. In China from 2010 to 2015, a Quad Graphics subsidiary used sham sales agents to make improper payments to government and commercial customers in exchange for increased business. Quad Graphics conducted no due diligence on the sham third-party agents and took no steps to verify that the third parties provided any specific services. The improper payments in China were falsely recorded as commissions. In Peru, a quad graphics subsidiary paid bribes to Peruvian government officials to win sales contracts and avoid penalties and improperly attempted to influence the judicial outcome of a dispute with a Peruvian tax authority. Quad Graphics Peru subsidiary engaged in also in the prohibited OFAC transactions with a state-owned Cuban telecommunications company and created false records to hide the transactions. Specifically now, Quad Graphics paid bribes to government officials from the Peruvian National Institute of Statistics and Information and other government municipalities. In addition, the Quad Graphics subsidiary participated in the judicial bribery scheme when it tried to influence the outcome of a tax dispute with the Peruvian tax authority, which had imposed $12 million in uh, VAT taxes. In 2012 and 2013, Quad Graphics Peru paid over 200000 in bribes through a local council to judges involved in the litigation. Two executives from Quad Graphics in the U.S. approved an invoice from a Peru law firm for more than $400,000, knowing that the law firm was the intermediary that would make the bribery payments to the Peru judges. Quad Graphics remedial actions included firing employees involved 
in the improper conduct, expanding the compliance department, and assigning additional resources to the compliance function, hiring a new international trade manager, and recruiting and trading new compliance and internal audit staff with anti-corruption expertise. Under the SEC settlement, Quad Graphics agreed to disgorge $6.9 million, pay prejudgment interests of $960,000, and to pay a civil penalty of $2 million. The Justice Department's declination letter was issued pursuant to its FCPA corporate enforcement policy. Quad Graphics voluntarily disclosed the conduct to the Justice Department, conducted a comprehensive and thorough internal investigation, fully cooperated with the investigation, and implemented timely remediation, including enhancement of its compliance program, termination of employees involved in the scheme, terminating its relationship with third parties involved in the Peru bribery scheme, and terminating third parties and employees involved in the China bribery scheme. DOJ, interestingly, explicitly reserved the right to prosecute quad graphics individuals involved in the China and Peru bribery schemes. Well, that's it. A busy day for the SEC. Three cases in one day. Um, And uh, just a quick outline of them. Uh, Interesting cases. They're worth taking a closer look at uh, for each of the fact patterns involved in some of the principles applied by the SEC. Thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. The Volkoff Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. We can help you achieve these benefits through an effective ethics and compliance program. You can learn more about our commitment to effective ethics and compliance programs at our website, www.bolkofflaw.com, our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and our podcast series. You can always contact me at my email address, mvolkoff at bolkofflaw.com. Let us know how we can help you achieve
got a tip, they're gonna kick the door in again. I'd like to get some sleep before I travel. But if you got a warrant, I guess you're gonna come in. Busted down on Bourbon Street. Sit up like a falling pin. Knocked down, it gets to wearing thin. It just won't let you be. Like a hanging around you like a travel 